Welcome to Wellspring Church Podcast. We're an international church family who wants to see Jesus' love transform communities. This recording is a sermon from our Sunday service and will take you deeper into the Bible in a real and relevant way. Just for those of you who are new to our journey or just didn't know, um, just less informed, um, Rachel and her husband, Gordon Hickson, led the church before Tim and Helen, who passed on church leadership to me in September. And uh, there's even more history behind them (laughs) that way as well and how they got the church. But we just wanted to honor them as leaders and really grateful for the reconnection, but the just ongoing journey with them. So again, thank you so much, Rachel. I'll leave the rest to you. Thank you. So I can... I've got to butt in, uh, because this lady, she keeps on producing books. So this is her 12th book, two, two weeks ago. Um, it's called Hope Filled. You'll see hot air balloons on the, on the front to be lifted up, because honestly, it, it's come out of a season where so many people are desperate for a message of hope. I mean, you just look, walk around the streets, people are just desperate. And this really addresses so much of that hope filled. Who should I give this? I think you need this. Newest member. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Well, it is our honor to be here. So, yes, my mum and dad, Alan and Eileen Vincent, I mean, they sort of fan of West Hearts. What was it called? Community Church. Oh, Lord, that was... And then we came in... 1990, I think it was. We were here 17 years and then 25 years with Tim and Helen. And so there's rootedness, Jesus' encounter. And we were given a prophetic word. A prophet came to the area and they said, what Ford is it? We were in St. Albans at the time. They didn't know who we were. What Ford was it? And at that time, we were looking at Oxford. So we are now based in Oxford, and it's like, shut up, prophet, don't let everyone know yet. <laughs> Which Ford is it? And I thought, oh, we're in Watford, and we're Oxford, so we're obviously into Fords. <laughs> but Jesus, we ask you to speak to us today. We ask you to encounter us. We ask you for a word that you write into our heart that lasts a long time. We thank you for longevity. And we welcome you. And we're so grateful for your crafting and shaping in our lives. And everyone said, Amen. Well, I want to speak about being shaped by encounters. Shaped by the encounter. I'm sure most of you have had that moment when you've walked in somewhere and you've encountered Maybe you just encountered a terrible stench and you think, what's that smell? God help us get out of here. Have anyone had that moment? Uh, Or you just, you encounter someone. You walk in and you think, whoa, what is that? You feel their hostility, their power, the domination. And you just realize that a whole atmosphere is set because of that person. Anyone had that encounter? And you think, I've just changed my job, and is this it? (laughs) No. (laughs) But other times, you can just walk into somewhere, and you just feel an atmosphere 
of welcome, of joy, just freedom and thing. You think, ooh, who are these? What are you? You encounter atmospheres, you encounter people, you encounter all sorts of things. But what about encountering Jesus? What about those God encounter moments? You know, as I was asked to look at a lifestyle of intimacy, a lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of connection, I thought, well, for me, the foundational rock bottom of a lifestyle of intimacy in prayer is encounter. When you connect and something happens, you want to keep connected. You want to keep online. You want to keep that conversation. You see, we can have many teachings and definitions of prayer, but prayer is really at its base level having a living, vital relationship with God. Prayer needs to satisfy you. It's more than just talking to God. It's actually also knowing and being utterly confident that God wants to talk to you. Otherwise, our prayer doesn't carry much distinctive. Buddhists pray, Muslims pray, Hindus pray. Nice people throw one up there. <laughs> and, but, but what is that? What is prayer? You know, that is just, oh, God, if you're there, God, help God. Maybe, God, I'm not sure, God, what the hell's going on, God, prayer. But we want a God that encounters, talks, connects, and can talk back to us. So I believe that God wants to shape in our lives this year a new confidence that God can and God does talk to me. And I find you only really need one God encounter where you know in your Noah, God, and it changes everything. It radically shapes the way you think. You suddenly become marked. You feel that ill ease of just making a decision. It's like, God, are you, is this you, God? You're captivated. You're changed. That encounter with God shapes your whole decision-making process. It shapes your desires, shapes your perspectives, your satisfactions, your priorities. So at the beginning of 2024, I unashamedly want to come and stir hunger in you. I want to irritate that. Not just so you upgrade your prayer life, I, I made it through half an hour. No, but, but there's a conversation that's so stirred for encounter. Where are you, God? Come on, God, sneak attack. Just come find me. That curiosity is awakened. God, I know that you're in my space. All through the Bible, we find those God encounters. You know, Moses at the burning bush. Here was Moses, born a deliverer, raised up in Pharaoh's house. He, he knew he had a mandate on his life, but then he got frustrated and he murdered an Egyptian. He ran from his life, ended up in the wilderness, found a wife and a great father-in-law, Jethro. And Jethro really spoke into Moses' life, and he became a good shepherd. He was helping in the family, and I think he, he had recrafted a life for himself. And then, da -da -da -da, walking down the road, burning bush, encounter. 
suddenly everything that had got settled, everything that felt okay, everything, happy families with his wife, was changed in a moment. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Moses, you weren't called just to find a great wife and a father-in-law, Jethro, and look after sheep. You were called as a deliverer for your people. Come on, Moses. Get back on track. I'm going to awaken that. Which got sidelined because of a painful time. We remember Joshua and Caleb in the wilderness. But Joshua was a curious boy. He loved the presence of God. And Moses used to go off outside the camp and up the mountain. And Joshua tagged on. And even when Moses left, it said, and Joshua would linger. There was something about the glory and the presence of God that just attracted Joshua. And then they came to decision-making time. They were a great movement. They moved for 40 years. But the problem is moving is not enough. They moved in circles and got nowhere. But they had a promise of God, which is, I will give you the land. And this land will be flowing milk and honey. I've got assignments for you. And, jo and Caleb, his mentor, and Joshua like, it's not enough. We need a breakthrough. We need more. And then finally, he crossed the Jordan, as we know, and he began to possess the land, not just move around in it. He began to come and take hold of the promises. And then he looked at Jericho and thought, dear Jesus, help me. This city, you find it in Judges 6, is tightly shut up. I haven't got a hope. So he goes into management mode. We need a planning committee. We need to sort this out. How can we take this thing? Get in the worship. And they have their great planning committee. And they're planning the whole takeover of Jericho. And then God toes up. And Joshua's in management mode. Who are you? Are you on my side? Are you going to cause me more trouble? Don't you see I'm stressed out this city? And I've got to possess the land. And Oh. You with me or with him? No. Hello, Joshua. Oh, it's you. Oh, it's you. And he fell down. And it changed everything. And maybe some of you are in panic mode and you just try to put together all sorts of things. And you're trying to get God on your side to help him work out something that's complex. And God's saying, hello. <laughs> Go all the way through. I, of course, love Peter. So many encounters. Makes me feel so much better. You know, great prophet. One minute, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Next minute, don't do that. Shut up, Peter. <laughs> but Peter was called. Peter, follow me. Peter, hello, I see you. You're doing a great thing out there, but... Follow me. And that hook of God that gets in you and you suddenly realize it's great to live a responsible life, caring for your family, doing job, etc. But there are moments where God encounters you and says, I've got something more for you. I've got a different track for you. I want to call you out and call you up. And there's those follow me moments. And we might try and duck and dive them, but God is saying, hello, follow me. And Peter did. And he did some stuff great. And we know the, towards the time of Jesus' death and crucifixion, it was stressful. Are you one of those crazy Jesus freaks? 
do you really love Jesus? Surely not. He got more brains than that. And he was being challenged by his culture. And he said, no, 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 I'm not Jesus' person. Yeah, I didn't think you were. But I see you hanging out in church on Sunday. Are you sure? No, 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 I'm not. I, I just check it out now and then, but I'm not really into it. Are you sure you're not a Jesus person? No, I hate that F. He F-bombed. And they were, whoa. Okay, it's all right. And then Jesus comes. Peter, do you want to walk? Do you love me? He said, oh, God, don't go there. You know I really do, but I just got in a mess. Do you love me? Yeah, you know. Peter. Please, do we have to do this again? Yes. Talk to me. Do you really, really love me? And then a third time, by now, Peter's like, God, please, I do really, really love you. He said, that's okay. Deny me three times. Let's delete it three times. Let's get rid of every word you spoke. Encounter. Changed everything. All through the Bible... It's people encountered Jesus. They were never the same. The woman at the well in John 4, Jesus turns up. I know your story, sweetheart. The man you're living with, Bible's so up to date. You've had five relationships, they failed, and now you just live around. And then by the end of John 4, she's in our whole village. The whole of Watford is hearing. There is this crazy woman. She met Jesus, changed her life. But now we know Jesus, not because of what happened to her. We found him. He found us. Encounters, encounters, encounters. It's infectious. Have you encountered him? Do you know that Jesus who talks to you, Mary at the grave, weeping? They took him. They took him. Mary. What? You? She ran. Come and see. I believe there's some encounters. God wants to so wake you up that you go running into your community space, workspace. You have no understanding what Jesus did with me. Come and see. Follow me. Come. Paul. As I said, we now live in Oxford. There's a lot of Pauls there. They've all souls. They've sussed it all out. I love Alpha Table. And they're going to pull apart the God Squad and show how utterly ridiculous any sort of belief in God is. And then you begin to talk the language of the heart and the soul. And that you see the hunger. People hungry for Jesus. And suddenly that blinding light that hits them and all the viciousness against the truth and the beauty of Jesus breaks off. And they said, I've seen God. I wonder about you. Think over your life. Why are you in church today? There's a moment, there's times, there's seasons in our lives. We think, I met you and you met me. And in the chaos and the complexity of our life, we can miss those sacred moments. 
but it's a time to awaken it because they shape your life. How many would say you can remember a moment and it shaped you? Come on, put your hands up, wave, you can look around. You see, God's still in the business of shaping lives by encounter. I'm a missionary kid and a preacher's kid. Grew up in India. Gave my life to Jesus when I was four years old in Calaba Baptist Church because the presence of God swept into this Baptist church and they changed from being God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Book to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He blew through the place. People were getting healed. People who were under the demonic power, tormented of mind, were getting delivered and free. I always remember this man. I mean, I was six, seven, a bit older then. His name was Dupe, and he, he couldn't speak. He was deaf and dumb. And one day in the worship, he screamed, and then he worshipped. And a deaf and dumb spirit came out of him. He had worshipped all those Hindu gods and they'd shut him up. But now he was free to worship the one true living God. I remember these things that impact you. You see it. At 10, 11, I wanted to be water baptized. I came to my dad and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe he's died and saved my sin. I believe he's filled me with the Holy Spirit and I can speak in a new language. I want to be baptized and be marked out as a Jesus carrier. My dad says, oh, dear, Baptist, you have to be 14. He says, I'll take you to Juhu Beach. (laughs) I caused him trouble, and I have ever since. But in 1989, sorry, I'm just trying to do I think it's 89. We were in Malaysia. We were working with Reinhard Bonker there. And I was in a time of just prayer. I was hungry. I was living in a place where I was seeing a lot of miracles. And I wrote home, I don't know if you even are aware of this, but I wrote home to my parents who lived in Kings Langley. And I said, what are the prophetic words over England? And my mom sent me a file of the words for Watford Community Church. And I began praying and fasting in Malaysia because I was hungry for more of God. And I was seeing people healed, saved, delivered. But I began to feel the responsibility for my nation, for the UK. I tried to be cute with God, you know. Because we had lived in Zimbabwe, Malawi, Tanzania, Kenya, Philippines, Indonesia. And we were now in Malaysia. We had two children. I love the world and the nations. And God says, it's time for to go home. And I'm like, forget that. I'm not really British anyway. I grew up in India till I was 16, so my head goes this way. Oh, very, very happy. <laughs> I learned Ek Dondin Cha Panch Che Satat No Das before I learned one, two, three, four, five, six. And then I went to Africa and I birthed my son in Africa, Nairobi Hospital. So I'm a mama. I birthed in Africa. So at 30s years old, I wasn't particularly interested in being terribly darling, white, middle-class English girl. But God showed me my passport. And I prayed. And that was the encounter on the floor. It was 
38 degrees, it was stinking hot, and our AC was broken. So I was on my face on the marble floor crying to God, not because it was spiritual, it was cool. (laughs) And it was in that place God spoke to me, and he said, I'm sending you home. I said, but where's home? He said, don't be cute with me. You're British, you're going home. Within, was it three weeks? Gordon had received a letter from the elders of what, asking if we would consider coming back and stewarding the church. It was an encounter that brought us back. And I felt, as I sat down between the two services, you got something they didn't get. He said this to me. He said, Rachel, I'm sending you home to the UK, not for your disappointment, but for my coming appointment. Get prepared, for I will come. And I remember that as I sat there after preaching on being shaped by encounters. Come on, there is seed in the ground. There is roots here. And God has encountered every one of you individually. But he encounters you corporately because he has a mandate and he has a mission and he has a purpose for you. Do you know what? I think your clock there has stopped. But your clock there is totally obliterated by the thing. So I'm thinking, how have I preached for all this time and it's still quarter to 12? But we won't worry about that. I will look here. (laughs) There is an encounter. You know, you're not here by accident. God's got a message for you. You know, when God speaks to you, thank you. Even if you don't cry, I'll cry. When you know God has spoken to you, it changes everything. Prayer is no longer just this religious duty or a formula to live a good life with the angels hopefully protecting you. You know, it's not a job list. It should be the very bedrock, undergirding life that gives you momentum, direction, and passion. I'm 63 years old. Gordon and I had two kids, Nicola and David, who many of you know. Nicola's going to be 40. (laughs) David's 37, and we've got six grandkids. But it's really interesting. I've been traveling in this nation quite a lot since COVID, especially because it just shifted my priority. And so many people have said the same thing. And I examined myself. I said, Rachel, you're still the same. And I wasn't sure if that was a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) Which same? And I said, what do you mean? They said, you're still passionate about Jesus. And I thought, yeah, because I encountered him. He met me at four years. He met me at 10 years. At 17 years when I was so overwhelmed, he like laser beamed me and said, Rachel, I want you. And I just went, God, I won't pick me. Not your smartest move, but if I can, I will. 24, Gordon and I went to Africa with Reinhard Bonker. God touched us. I should have died in a road traffic accident, but he gave me my life back. At 30, he called me back. That was Malaysia, counted me. 
And then he called us to Oxford, and we've had the privilege of being in a city of reformation. But there are points in time when God just says, listen to me. And I would like to suggest for you as Wellspring, as you as individuals, as us as British people in this nation, we're at a tipping point, and God's saying, hello, come find me. I've got a mandate. I can direct you. I can encounter you. I can fulfill you. I can shape you to make you right person, right place, right time to do the right thing and satisfy everything you're carrying for the glory of God. Come on. 2024. I mentioned yesterday, 2024 has been called by many election or government year. Did you know 42% of the global world is choosing a government this year? 44 of our GDP. 16 nations in Africa, 13 nations in Europe, Obviously, US, UK, Russia, Iran, South Korea. You go on. You think of critical alignments for the governance of our globe. Every, everything's up for grabs. And God says, come on. I want to shape you. I want to direct you. I want to empower you. Prayer is not our religious duty. It is our lifeline of communication. In a John chapter 4, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, they will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling place with them. And we will come. Isn't that incredible? That God says, I'm coming. If you create an atmosphere of welcome, if you position yourself, if you will love me and obey me, those are the, pos the atmosphere positions. I'm coming. And there are those times when God encounters you. But I also want to suggest that you can set up atmospheres and places where then you encounter God. It's a two-way. There's times when God just comes, dun -dun -dun -dun, and you think, whoa. There are other times when you position yourself. Malaysia, on my face, seeking him. God, what do these prophecies mean? How does it come? And then God comes and says, hello. He will dwell with you. And then he says, and I am with you. And my helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, stand by the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name and in my place to represent me and act on my behalf. He will teach you. All things. How many know all is a big word? Come on, how many need an upgrade in understanding and teaching for these days? God, we just cry out, would you encounter us and help us? And then I love the next bit even more. Can you read it with me? And he will help you. How much? Another big word. Everything. He will help you. That is incredible. I live with granny brain syndrome. It's really helpful if God's going to remind me of everything. <laughs> Come on. God takes you back, reminds you, says, hello, don't you remember? I called you, I empowered you, I encountered you, my hand's on you. How many of you know, even sitting, talking this morning, you're beginning to remember, Holy Spirit. Come on, breathe. Help us remember everything. 
And he said, then peace I'll leave with you. Perfect peace I give to you. It's not the world's self-help. Let's do yoga for an hour, empty ourselves and then feel empty. No. It's the Holy Spirit. Let's fill, be filled. I gift you peace. I give you something. And this peace will calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. Come on, Jesus. How many need that? God, we need that encounter. We need that gift of executive peace that just calms the storm and gives us the way. You see, I believe in this season that God is speaking to us. And he's saying, I want to upgrade your wisdom. I want to upgrade your understanding. If you encounter me, you will discover strategy and wisdom to live your life well. You know, Job, he was looking at his life and he was going, God, where do I find it? And if you read Job 28, I haven't got time. But there is this beautiful narrative between God and Job and creation discussing wisdom. And the oceans are going, have you found it? The mountains are singing, have you found it? It's a beautiful thing on wisdom. But it concludes with verse 28. And it says, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? It doesn't mean you're frightened of God. It means living with that, I call it, tingling expectation. It's that sort of on your tiptoe, sort of thinking, Wow, God is so incredible. I wonder what he's going to do here. It's living with a present reverence and awe. It literally is, God could do anything right now. It's awesome. We maybe overuse that, but it is that sort of, wow. Wonder what God's going to do. The fear of the Lord. So putting your whole of your life through a lens that God is bigger than this crisis. God is bigger than this problem. God, having the sense of, wow, big God. What are you going to do right now? What are you going to do for our nation and its government? What are you going to do for our political, our social, economic struggle? What are you going to do in my workplace? What are you going to do in my marriage? What are you going to do for me from the macro to the micro? Wow. I have a friend, and he just said to me, I was crying, God, give me wisdom, God, give me wisdom. And he said, God, just stopped me and said, don't ask for wisdom, ask for me. And he thought, but God, in James, you say, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. And then he read it in detail in the Greek. It says, let him ask of me. Not ask for wisdom. If anyone asks wisdom, just cry, wisdom, wisdom. No, what it actually means, here's the great pastor James saying, no, if you don't need wisdom, ask of him. The fear of God. Ask, God, I need you. God also wants to shape you for fruitfulness. You might look at your life and think, well... I look at my age, look at my situation. I didn't expect to be here doing this at this season of my life. And you might feel disappointed. But I have this word for you. God says, actually, as you dig deep into your relationship with Jesus, as you allow those deep roots to really penetrate into his river of life, 
you will flourish. You will grow, you will prosper, you will develop, you will increase, you will multiply, because God promises that. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who doesn't make choices to walk with the ungodly, who centers his life in God and positions his life in that river of God. He said, blessed, for verse 3, for that person is like a tree planted in streams of water. It yields fruit all seasons. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever it does prospers. And that word prosper means to grow, to thrive, to increase, to develop, to have rapid multiplication. You see, as you're shaped by Jesus' encounter, his life, your life, and that life works in every single season. You might say, but Rachel, it looks bleak out there. But that's wintertime. But this verse says that we flourish, grow, have life in every season. So in the springtime, what does flourishing look like? Lots of leaves, bright green trees. In summer, what does flourishing look like? Flowers, perfume, roses. In autumn, in the fall, what does flourishing look like? Fruit. In winter, every season. That's what my Bible says. What flourishes in winter? Come on, gardeners. What do you work on in the wintertime? The roots. You dig it, you feed it, you fertilize it. It's the roots. The problem is, in wintertime, you can't see much, but it's flourishing. I want to say to you, in this season, we're in a winter season, maybe, in the sense of the people of God. And we might think, well, where's all the green and the fruit and the thing? You know, God's word says we flourish in every season. Well, you are. You're flourishing in wintertime. God's taking you deep. He's saying, stand in the river. Let the roots go deep. I want to encounter you. I want to meet you. I am with you. And when the wind blows, you will stand. Ephesians 6, having done all, stand. But we are living in that season of the wind. If we can have the slide up. And when the wind blows, big trees fall. And root structures get exposed. And we're living in a season when we can look around us and some big organizations, big churches, big church names, big leaders. And you think, how did that happen? Because they had done a lot of growing in springtime, some of the but they'd forsaken their roots. But God's been gracious because God's saying, come on, get ready, Watford. Come on, get ready. It's growing time. But this is preparation time. So he is looking after your root structures. And it, when the wind blows, the Holy Spirit can be water, fire, or wind. And the wind tests your life. And some trees will fall. But I believe God is kind to you. And it's a winter season. And he has been preparing your roots. He's been helping you deal with bitter wounds, exposing financial weaknesses. He's helping you come to places of forgiveness, rebuilding disturbed relationships, helping you in unsettled workplaces, 
dealing with the pressure points in marriages, exposing resentments, all the root value systems. And he's been going through those things and saying, come on, love well, live well, give well, serve well. Go in the opposite spirit. And you've been digging deep. And he's been positioning you for God. And so as we come to the end of this time of thinking, I want us to read the scripture together in Psalm 52. And I want us to read it as a prayer and a declaration of our lives. Begin to speak to yourself. Just say, God, I really believe that I am your tree, that you've been rooting me, that you've been dealing with all my root structures and I will flourish. You have been aligning me in your presence of encounter so I will know your wisdom. But I just want to ask you, are you ready to be shaped by a new encounter with God? So let's just read this together. One, two, three. But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name for your name is good. Amen. As David encourages us early, let's just dwell for a moment in the presence of the King. Let him encounter you. And if you're here today, and maybe you've never really given your life to Jesus, you've never had that encounter. The Apostle Paul was on the road doing his own thing and God literally turned the lights on and Saul became Paul. He said, I've seen God. And maybe for some of you, you've come to church, but, but you don't really know that you know that God encounter where God and you have said yes. Church can't save you. Just coming to church can't save you. It is that encounter where you say, Jesus, you are mine. I need you. And it changes everything. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer. This is your moment now. Maybe you have prayed that prayer, but you realize today you need a rededication. Because if you're honest, you're no longer walking with Jesus. You've run away. And a bit like Moses in the wilderness, God's found you today. And he said, hello, there's a calling on your life. Come home. There's a mandate on your life. Come back. I can use you. But you have walked away. But today, I'm saying, come on, son. Come home. Come on, daughter. Live right. So whether you are giving your life to Jesus for the very first time or you are rededicating your life and saying, God, I know I haven't been living in the right space and I can hear you. 
and I want you in my life, 100%. I'm going to just count one, two, three, and if that's you, as our eyes are just closed, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hands straight to heaven and just say, this is me, Jesus. I'm giving you everything. I'm sorry. I've run away. Right now, one, two, three, just lift your hands up. Thank you. Thank you. Just put them right up to heaven. You just take hold of God. Thank you. Right around this room, I can see. And now I want us, as you take hold of God, I want us in this room to pray this prayer all together. Can you do that with me? One, two, three. Father, today, I give you my life. All that I am. Every desire. And I am sorry for the wrong choices I have made. But today, forgive me. I choose you. Please take my life and use me for everything you created me to be. Give me your wisdom. Give me fresh hope. And let me live a Jesus life. And everyone said. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by what you've heard. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, Wellspring Church, or how you can grow with others in faith, connect with us by clicking the link in the episode description or joining us on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. in person and online.